Welcome back. I'm Steve McGrath, host of Beyond the Helmet. And in this episode, I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with Tommy Bowden. Now, Coach Bowden brought over 30 years of coaching experience to the podcast. He spent 11 plus seasons as a head coach. That's between Clemson, where he was up until Coach Davo Swinney took over. And he was also the head coach at Tulane, where he took the team to an undefeated season. So Coach brought an incredible wealth of knowledge and wisdom to the show. We talked about his faith, his family, because of course he is the son of Bobby Bowden, famed coach as well. And he was able to just take us to a whole different level about leadership, what it takes to run an organization. And without any further ado, I'm going to stop talking and let you hear Coach Bowden on his journey. But I, I think maybe to, to kick this off, uh, it might make the most sense to start with something that's a little bit more timely. I, I mean, what a year 2020 has been when we have all things COVID related that have completely hampered how a football program would normally run, whether that's recruiting or just getting your team ready for the next season, you know, spring ball essentially got crushed. And then on top of that, all things related to race tensions in this country, if you were to put yourself back, put the coaching hat back on, what advice would you be giving right now to other coaches that are trying to deal with running a program when it feels like on all fronts, there's issues that really haven't been put in the forefront like this in quite a while, if ever, in the, as relating to COVID? Well, you know, it's really two different issues. The, the issue of COVID-19 and not practicing, not having your team and do everything pretty much through video and, and technology, you know, I probably couldn't give any advice because everybody, nobody had been in that situation. So not why this is something that happened 10 years ago and when I was a head coach at Tulane, I, boy, we did this and that. Everybody was on the same uh, playing field as far as uh, COVID-19. Now, the race-related issues is something totally different because, uh, you know, as a player for my father at Virginia, uh, there was not a lot of minorities on the team. Uh, my father uh, took that job, being from the South, perceived as a, a Southern, you know, head coach or Southern coach coming up to uh, maybe an area that was a little more progressive uh, with minorities uh, going through as a player than as a young assistant coach and as a coordinator and as a head coach of non-Power 5 and a Power 5, a head coach at a place like Tulane, it's inner city, a uh, little more uh, race relations were a little more prevalent in a bigger city, uh, inner city school, as opposed to a small rural place like Clemson. So uh, those issues, those are, that, that is one that uh, experience I think would help uh, with coaches. But I think there's a lot of coaches now that at the, at the height that this is right now in race relations, I, I think all coaches are kind of on uh, a new stomping ground other than maybe a David Shaw at Stanford and a minority coach that might have a little bit better understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I think more than anything, uh, 2020 has called for coaches to be really good leaders, more so than ever, to, to unite a team under these circumstances. It doesn't matter what the circumstance, it's just an unforeseen obstacle you know, given everything that you had gone through, in, in terms of being that strong leader, what are a couple of things that you think that that leader needs in order to be successful? Well, I, I think you got to have a tremendous amount of ability to make good, wise decisions. Because when you make a decision as a head coach, everybody's looking at you, not only your nine or 
10 or all, all your support staff has really gone, grown, expanded over the last few years, but all of your players. And when you make a decision and a statement, you better be decisive, better show confidence, because if I think players uh, can feel insincerity or a player, a coach that might not be real confident in, in his decisions. And that's kind of where I was very fortunate. First time head coach at Tulane, I really went in there with a lot of the answers. Uh, Tulane, guys hadn't had the winning season, I think, in 15 years. I go in there, I think they'd won five games maybe in the last three years. And uh, so, uh, but the fact that I'd been around my father, I knew exactly what I wanted to do in winter condition. You, you get the team in, in December, and the first thing you uh, you do with them is winter conditioning. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do because I'd watched a very successful coach do it. Uh, the first discipline issue, I knew exactly how I wanted to handle it uh, with the media and recruiting. So I, I think from from the aspect of leadership, I think one that exudes confidence, I think is really, really important, especially when you take over a new career. No, I, I think that's spot on. So th this may be an impossible question because I don't know how you sparse the two apart, but how much of that comes from being around your father and watching him run a program versus the the years you spent, you know, 15, no, I, I mean, uh, 20 years. years so how much of that is learning on the job for two decades versus just being always around it with your family? You know, there are certain things, like you said, in the 19 years I was an assistant, there are certain X and O's aspects that I picked up that were really instrumental because they were different from my father's. I worked for a guy at Alabama named Homer Smith. He has since passed away, but very successful uh, offensive. A lot of people call him a genius. Really, really a sharp coach. Uh, I learned a system under here under Homer Smith, the West Coast offense, for example, that was different than my father's offense. I was exposed to the no huddle, uh, hurry up, uh, uh, hand signals, uh, stuff like that, calling plays from the line of scrimmage with no huddle. Never been done, or my father was never exposed to it. But I learned those things. But the things that involve more so, I think, with leadership as opposed to X and O's, I was very fortunate. The fact that I happened to be a Christian, my father was a Christian. The fact that he was a very successful coach, uh, uh, second winningest coach in the history of at least one A football. So I learned from him, like I mentioned earlier, what do you do in one away? It's uh, winter conditioning, how to handle the media, how to handle discipline, how long do you practice, how much hitting do you do? What about bowl preparation? I, I knew all those. That was really, really helpful. The fact that I picked up, uh, I, in fact, I talked to him. I showed him a no-huddle offense. Uh, he had a guy named Charlie Ward, who's a Heisman Trophy winner. And, and uh, so uh, I didn't have an X and O. I had X and O background from him. But it's, when I went to Tulane, that's not what I leaned on. It was more something I'd learned in those 19 years. Yeah, and just hitting on Tulane for a second, you're able to coach alongside Rich Rodriguez, who ultimately, after you guys have a lot of success at Tulane together, goes on to be a very successful coach. And then later, of course, everyone knows about Dabo and what he's been able to do, Coach Swinney at Clemson. Obviously, I'm sure recruiting is a huge asset that you need to have to be a successful coach, but particularly those two guys – uh, did, did you see anything that would have uh, allowed you to foresee the future success that they'd have? Any particular uh, skill set or trait that they might have carried? Well, the, the, yeah, there are several. And, and those two guys, as good a coach as they are, they're completely different as far as reasons that I 
them, I surround myself with them. But Rich, for example, uh, I was wanting to run somebody. I had a background, no huddle, a fast pace offense when I was at Alabama. I wanted somebody that had a background in that. Rich had a phenomenal background as a head coach up there at Glenville State, small, I think, Division three school in West Virginia. He was breaking all kinds of scoring records. He had married the, the, the no, uh, no huddle, fast-paced offense. So I wanted somebody that background that had success. Rich had that. So I hired Rich more or less for his X's and O's expertise, though he had been a head coach. He was a good recruiter. He had all those things in his uh, repertoire of, of, of coaching uh, skill. But uh, Dabo, uh, for other reasons, when I, I coached Dabo and, and, and hired him at Clemson, but the reason I hired him for his recruiting uh, capabilities, he had a very impressive recruiting resume. Now, I knew his background, knew him, his wife Kathleen. He had a lot of intangibles, but again, his number one skill was recruiting. And you mentioned a little bit about that, you know, about the coaches. Uh, the team of the best players usually wins. And uh, Dabo, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Brian Day at Ohio State, they, they look at how they're ranking recruiting. Uh, they rank recruiting very, very high. They got great players. They've got the best players. But you can mess good players up. All you do is put them in the wrong place, give them the wrong assignment. So you've got to have the X and O's along with great players. And Rich and Dabo both had some ingredients that showed that they possessed both those. Both of them had the ability to recruit. Dabo was more so recruiting. Rich was more so in X's and O's. They both have knowledge in both areas, but one was really highlighted in one deal and one was highlighted in the other. That's very interesting. So you're essentially the CEO when you're the head coach making these calls. How do you weigh, I want more X's and O's here. I want more recruiting there. How do you ultimately try to walk that line of getting that balance? That's a good question. I think through experience, I was a head coach for 12 years. The longer, you know, my first, second, the first year as a head coach, I won seven games. They hadn't done that in seven years. Next year, I went undefeated. Well, I had all the answers. You know, I was the smartest guy around undefeated. I get the Clemson job. The longer you're in coaching, I think the more you realize and you gain a little more wisdom. It's the team of the blessed players that wins. You better get recruiters. I made a, a decision about uh, halfway through my coaching career. I had some really notable coaches that were a little bit older that weren't as good recruiters. So I said, listen, if I, this, this, this good players or something to that, you know, tailbacks that can make guys miss, receivers that can jump higher in defensive backs, quarterbacks and, you know, can execute under, under pressure. So I, I went with young guys, I, young guys that their, their skill was not so much in knowledge and X and O's, it was in recruiting and relate, building relationships. You know, it's easy for a guy 28 or 29 year old to recruit a player 17, 18 than a guy in his 50s and his, in his 60s. Uh, and that's not verbatim, but again, as a general rule of thumb, I think I saw the top 10 recruiters in college football, either nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 were all 30 and under. So uh, uh, the idea is you have to walk a line because you can get good players to and put them in the wrong position. And, and, and they're never in a position to make good plays or you can play them out of position with a great pass rush. All of a sudden you see them dropping in coverage a lot of times as a defensive player. So uh, I think you got to walk that fine line. But I think the sooner you realize in your coaching career that if you had to rank I had to pick one. Do I want to coach with X's and O's or do I want a recruiter? Uh, I picked the recruiter over, over the X and O guys. Fair enough. And uh, who knows how many football careers have ended because of a skill set and scheme mismatch. 
guys just never getting their chance to shine. Um, who knows? Too many, in short. Now, do, do you remember uh, uh, Jerry Faust? Do you remember that name? High coach at Moeller High School, strong Catholic, and he got the job at Notre Dame right from a high school coach. You, okay. But, but, Faust but, sounded familiar, yes. Yeah, Jerry, he, was a, he was a very successful high school coach at Cincinnati Moore, strong Catholic, just one, maybe the most successful coach in college football, high school football at that time. He went from a high school coach to the head coach at Notre Dame, maybe the most prestigious, and, had, and they had great players. But he used his offense at Cincinnati Moore. It was very complicated, a lot of shift in this and that, and then it didn't G-Haw. He didn't last very long, but, again, uh, possibly a, a – Example of uh, not 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 having great players in the right position to be successful, but uh, it's very important. Absolutely, and, and I'm sure there's been plenty of college coaches making that jump to the NFL. That whether that run scheme is a little too simplistic, that defenses eat up, they just don't have a chance to uh, get get their legs underneath them. Um, but coach, I wanted to circle back. You you had mentioned faith uh, growing up Christian. I know it's been a uh, it's a huge part of who you are. Um, can you speak a little bit about to how you thought that that was a recruiting tool and all, just a, in a much uh, broader lens, how you credit that to the level of success you've been able to achieve? Well, you know, uh, first of all, it's, I'm, I'm very serious about it. And, and it, it wasn't, I, it was important in recruiting me that I bring that up though. I didn't do it because Sure. I was a Christian. I, th- I thought that was kind of one of the reasons that, that God put me in recruiting was to maybe used uh, somehow, uh, let my faith somehow uh, be used as an example. But you know, uh, Steve, when you're recruiting the Southeast, there's something called the Bible Belt. I don't know if you've heard it. Uh, there's a phrase that originally came out of Chicago about uh, the states where football is uh, pretty much a part of the culture, not football. Faith is a part of the culture. It's 24-7. Starts up there around Virginia and works through the Southeast, the Midwest, Oklahoma, Texas, and that area for some reason called the Bible Belt. When you recruit a young man in the Southeast, there's a good chance somebody in his family, very influential, is going to be a Christian or active in church or attendance that's going to have an impact on that young man. So I, I didn't do it for that reason. It was important right. to me to explain to him. But again, I said, yeah, look where I recruited. Most of my jobs, Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, Duke, Kentucky, I coached in the Southeast. I coached in the Bible Belt. I didn't make that stuff up. That's a legitimate part of the culture in that part of the country. Not that it's not in the other, where up in the other parts of the country, but it's it's uh, pretty much twenty four seven. So uh, when I went into a home recruiting, I, I talked about this, the, the the mental growth, the physical growth, and the spiritual growth for a player that I was going to try to have a plan in all three areas. And uh, we would we would go to church as a team. Uh, I was confronted by the ACLU and the FF. Freedom from Religion Foundation. But again, I think if you do it smartly, you can find ways to, to work around that. But uh, I just felt like, uh, Stephen, to, to be successful for me, I said, 19 years as assistant, I said, man, if I can just do this, if I can get players to make good decisions, I think I can be successful. Pick up the newspaper today and you look at college football just because of what we're kind of talking about. There is an article every day where somebody's getting in trouble making a bad decision. So I said, man, if I can just make them help them make good decisions. Well, what, what characteristics help them make good decisions? Well, commitment, accountability, responsibility, discipline, sacrifice. You take those five things, commitment, accountability, responsibility, discipline, sacrifice. Those, that's the foundation of making good decisions. I need, need as many resources as I can 
to help in those five areas. NCAA restricts the amount of time you can have them, 20 hours a week. Gum, I'm held accountable for them 24-7, but you're only going to give them to me 24 hours a week. A church is a place I encourage church attendance, get involved with a local church. It's a building about a group of people about making good decisions. The fellowship of athletes is always big as, as I promoted as a coach. It's a group of athletes that were trying to make good decisions. I encourage Bibles to have Bible studies and Bible reading. It's a book about making good decisions. So I felt like those five things, as many resources, I need as many resources as possible. Uh, and, and Christianity and athletics, he's talking about a great marriage, commitment, accountability, responsibility, discipline, sacrifice, look the life of Christ, sacrifice, commitment, accountability, and look at athletics. So I thought it was a great marriage. So it's easy for me to, to marry uh, my faith and, and the and, and sport of football. Oh, well, you certainly beat me to the cards acronym because I, I promised I was going to get there. Uh, but, but one thing I wanted to make sure I underscored because uh, perhaps I didn't when I asked the question was the Christianity uh, lens that you view the world through is completely authentic. There, there's nothing about that that was used as a tool or a crutch to get somewhere. It's truly who you are. So if in any way that was unclear, um, I think the reason why it resonates is because it is who you are and you're not putting on a certain hat to try to make a certain impression. Now, uh, Stephen, I, I, this is what I believe. I believe with all my heart. Uh, I know I'm going to heaven because I've done the things that the Bible requires to go. I, I know I'm going. I know about uh, man's sins and virgin birth and dinosaurs, all those things I accept. I know I'm not homesick. I don't want to go tomorrow, but I know I'm going. But I really believe when I die, I have to meet my maker. And he's going to look my at Tommy Bowden and see, find you ain't a book life. I hear you are Tommy Bowden. Uh, uh, he's going to say, Tommy, I'll let you become the head coach of Tulane December 1996. Uh, you're head coach for 12 years. Uh, every year you're a head coach, you had 85, 105 players in front of you. And God's going to look at me and say, hey, when you had those players in front of them, did you mention my name? Did you tell them about me? Could they see me through you? I've got to answer them because that's the platform God gave me. So I sincerely felt like that was, that was my responsibility. That's why God put me in coaching. So uh, I, think, and I think players uh, sense if it's not sincere. Oh, I think you're 100% right on that. It, regardless of what you're doing, you know, if you're not authentic, eventually it always becomes evident. Uh, so, Coach, I actually wanted to, to bring this back just a couple of years uh, when you were playing football for another strong Christian. Uh, that would be your father when you went to West Virginia. Can you just talk, talk me through just a little bit the decision to go play at West Virginia, how it was playing for your father, and then his decision to leave and go to Florida State while you were there. Well, the decision was pretty easy because I, I was a walk-on. I didn't have a lot of options. <laughs> I think I could have gone to Navy, uh, made a couple of just small Division three schools. I had a girlfriend at the time. My wife. I've been, I've been married 43 years. and started dating my uh, wife when she was a sophomore in high school and I was a junior. So I said, guys, I'm just going to stay here and, and walk on. So I, I walked on and, and uh, my father said, you're going to have to earn it. You can't be equal to everybody else. Scholarship players are going to have to be a little bit better because you're my son. And so I walked on, scout team, beat up a whole bunch. And I was scout team, running back, scout team, wide receiver. You just you get beat to a pulp back then. You did a lot of hitting and 
we wanted guys. So I paid my dues, gosh, uh, my fourth year. Finally earned a scholarship, started for my father his last year at wide receiver. We went to the Peach Bowl. Then he left, and I started my last year for a guy named Frank Sidnetti. But uh, it's one where I, it's not like he had to beat a bunch of guys to get me to come. I, you know, I was a walk-on. I was lucky to go. And, but I went and uh, was not a factor for, I think, my third year. I might have played on special teams a little bit and earned a scholarship. Started my last two, one, one for a new guy. But uh, I was very fortunate that when I did get to start, we, we won. Not because of me. We had a good players. But uh, the fact I couldn't look up there and say, gosh, he's sitting there playing his son and, and, and they're losing, you know. So right. uh, we, we happened to win, win, go to a bowl game. But uh, it was a great, great experience. But it is unusual, uh, Steve, back in 1974, my father went 4-7. It's my third year. And he about got fired. And the team was – so we won't have a team meeting without the coaches. You know, they're they're complaining and moaning. We're practicing too long. We're doing too much hitting. Coach bowed into this and that. So it's, it was usual to sit in a team meeting as your father's a head coach. They weren't invited, and they're sitting there critical, you know, of your father and the coaching style and all that. That was uh, probably the most unusual circumstance I had at least playing for. <laughs> I, especially, I when I got, especially when I was doing most of the complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of the guy. Get rid of the guy. <laughs> uh, having worked for my dad, I understand exactly what, what that could be like. Um, now, I would admit, so going from a walk-on, you, you, what better way to become a, a grad assistant than, of course, by going, playing there. You're able to get that at, uh, while your father is not the coach there, but then you're able to join his staff at, at Florida State and you're able to, you know, start your coaching journey. So I just wanted to ask, uh, do you just have any bits of advice about that coaching arc that so many coaches go on where you don't know if you have a job next year? You don't know, you know, do I become the quarterback coach there or the tight end coach there? Do you have, you navigated it so well to get to the, the very top, you know, the Power Five Conference head coach. Do you have any, any uh, insight on how anyone should be going about something like that? You know, I, uh, first of all, I was going to my first full-time job as East Carolina coach in the secondary. I was a graduate assistant at Florida State, got an opportunity to go with a guy named Ed Emery, which is secondary. My father took me to the airport, found out of Tallahassee to Greenwood, North Carolina. And the last thing he told me, he told me two things. In this profession, you better have patience and you better have perseverance. And it's really, really true because, like you say, there's, there's not a lot of uh, – if you want a safe profession, then you better go sell insurance or do something where you can work for eight to five. But it's one of, like, there's no security. It's very volatile. Uh, there's a lot of stress. It's tough on the family. It's tough on the marriage. You know, so uh, – but, but he told me patience and perseverance. And you really have to have it because all of a sudden – I've been to several jobs, and all of a sudden you're there for six months. Head coach is fired. You're out. It's Christmas time. I mean, there's bills to pay. You got a house and all this. So, uh, but again, from a Christian perspective, I'm very fortunate to have a father that was a Christian because uh, he emphasized a lot about praying to God for clarity about your next move. And I've tried to sit down with my wife. I've tried to sit down with my children as they got older. Anytime I was making a decision about leaving, uh, talk, go, you know, praying about it and asking God for clarity and, uh, Boy, sometimes I said, man, God, where are you? <laughs> let's, get, let's get this clarity. Let's, where is it? How come it's taking so long? And of course, you're old. You learn God's got three answers. Yes, no, and wait. And uh, sometimes you don't like that wait. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's a tough profession. 
Oh, certainly not for the faint of heart. I mean, uh, it's every year to, to see the turnover. It's, uh, it's crazy. And I, I hate to even ask, but I mean, of course, you're very much paying attention to the landscape. You, you seem like you could jump in tomorrow and be able to plug into some system and make them better. Do, do, do thoughts like that ever cross your mind? Like maybe, just maybe, I might be able to help a program somewhere. Yeah, I kind of told my a couple things. Yeah, you know, I told myself these guys, you might not remember guys named Frank Broyles and Daryl Royal. Have you ever heard of those guys? I can't say that. Well, they one was the head Sorry. coach. Frank was the head coach at Arkansas, very successful. Daryl Royal, head coach at Texas, very successful. They were retired about 55 years old. And I became a head coach. I said, you know, I can't, really can't see myself coaching like my father in his 80s. Uh, I think in the mid-50s, I, I think that's good. So I kept it quiet. I didn't tell you. don't want to tell anybody that. And all of a sudden, you're trying to recruit a glass at your 53, and all of a sudden, you're going to leave him. So you, you're not too vocal about it. So at 54, when I left Clemson, when I, when I was at Clemson, I said, you know, that, I, that's kind of what I had in the back of my mind. But I don't want to make the decision for God. I got to let God make the decision. So uh, uh, SEC school called. I was in Clemson. wanted to meet in Atlanta during the SEC uh, convention uh, game. So I drove and met with an AD from the SEC with somebody called from Big 12 and somebody from uh, another conference. And instead of saying, I wasn't that interested, you better be able to jump in both feet running 100 miles an hour when you're a head coach. And I didn't quite have that feel, but I, I didn't want to make the decision for God. I said, hey, I'm going to go to Atlanta. I'm going to meet with them people. I'm going to talk to the, these, this AD, this other school, this president. And I'm not going to make the decision for you, but I want you to give me clarity. If you want me, when, when I was at Clemson, God gave me clarity to leave because the AD came in and knocked at my door and said, we're going to make a change. And I said, well, be clear. So I said, God, if you want me back in, make it clear. And so uh, I didn't express an interest. And after about two or three years, once you keep saying no, uh, they stop calling. So, uh, so I think I, my days of coaching got over. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I – I, you just you see someone like Mac Brown who was on the, the the desk you know behind a broadcast studio for a few years. Yeah, I, you know, good friends with him, and uh, uh, was kind of surprised because he's done really really well financially secure. He's got a great wife and family, Sally, and uh, but uh, he just he he I guess felt like he hadn't had enough. But you know, it's, that little sabbatical that he took is really really good. Uh, Urban Meyer took a sabbatical for about a year. You know, got out after he left Florida before he went to Iowa State. So, boy, every, every coach can get to – a lot of head coaches have a sabbatical the last six months. They're going to really refresh. I think that's going to help a lot of coaches that felt like they might have been getting burned out because they, they've had a lot of time off. But, uh, yeah, I surprised Matt Brown went back. Uh, and with uh, Coach Meyer, since he's uh, already shown he likes a sabbatical here and there, who, who knows where he may end up. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Very well could jump back in it. He's, he's younger than I am. I'm 65, and he's he's uh, seven or eight years younger, maybe 10 years younger than I am. Now, uh, just coaches at, at different parts of their journey, right? Whether it's a sabbatical or doing something to uh, maybe get completely reinvigorated, look at how different organizations are run. You know, your brother, a very successful coach goes into Clemson to be a grad assistant <laughs> just a couple of years ago to get a, a up close look at, uh, you know, what Clemson is doing now. W what did you think about that? And, and um, yeah, 
did he ever express how maybe his views have changed since doing uh, go, going through that whole experience? Well, yeah, it's very, very you know, football, like a lot of things, is a very humbling profession, you know, and uh, he was undefeated at Auburn, national coach of the year, uh, toughest conference, you know, and now all of a sudden you're in the uh, Clemson clean locker room with their other GAs after, after your team practices there on Friday on the away game, you're, you're cleaning up the locker. But he, he really loved the game, and he still has a fire for it in his heart, which, he, which is obvious. To do what he's done with his background, you know, that's obviously he's got fire for the profession. But he really felt like at a place like Clemson right now, offensively, he, if he had a, he's, he's kind of – he was a head coach 20-some years old and kind of been married to one system. And so he's, he's got a great opportunity to learn and maybe go out and uh, redefine himself as a power five coordinator or maybe head coach somewhere, or maybe position coach somewhere. So, uh, but yeah, he's a, uh, it's a humbling profession, but he, he, you talk about being at the bottom. He is at the bottom as low as you can get. Uh, and back in the college profession, he's been to the top and he's been to the bare bottom. And, you know, you hear the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm not calling your brother old, but to see someone that seasoned in college football coaching to be so humble as to do that, to get that new perspective and reinvent themselves after that track record is just so rare. You very rarely see someone willing to do that. Yeah, you're right. And I would think that that might be kind of appealing to a certain committee or an AD or, or, or a board of trustees that are, that are looking for somebody to say, hey, you're talking about a guy that's been a top. This guy must really love the game. And I think that's obvious by what he's done. So that might be an asset to him as he, as he looks to, to uh, resurface. Uh, I'm sure it will. Uh, and Coach, I, I know we're, we're a little up against it here. So to wrap this up, I want to go through this little thing I call the gauntlet. It's just a couple quick hitter questions that I'd love to get your knee-jerk answer on. All righty. What's most important in winning? Is it having the number one offense or the number one defense? Defense wins championships. I'd, I'd go with defense. All right. Now, that, of course, there's no real right answer here, but what's more important? Is it the players you have or your scheme? Uh, <laughs> I learned that, players. I learned that when I hired Dabo, and I think he's proved that. So, so players. <laughs> I pick players, players over scheme. All right. Now, uh, you, of course, have gone through so much uh, as a football coach. So is it possible to pick a favorite football memory? You know, gosh, I've had several as, as a head coach. But, yeah, it might be uh, 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 a father and son that never played each other in history of college football when, when I played uh, Florida, Clemson played Florida State and I played my father. And uh, one year we played them, I think, at Clemson. They were number three in the nation. Uh, my job was on the line. I had to beat them, and, and uh, we beat them all, maybe about another 30 points or so. That, that probably – that and the, uh, the Clemson's biggest game is South Carolina. Lou Holtz was the head coach, and uh, we went into Columbia one time, I think, beat them 63-17. to 17. So that was probably two, two of the bigger, bigger wins. Oh, absolutely. And I can't believe I, I forgot to ask about the Bowden Bowl. I, I mean, after that happens, what, what's conversation with dad like when uh, he takes the L? You know, it was, it was, it was fun for a while. But I lost the first four games. And I said, man, that's, they hired me there to beat them. Then I won the next four out of five. 
So it meant it completely flipped. He, he was great at our summer vacations those first four years. And <laughs> then after that first four years, he started making me pay for my share of the rent, food, and everything else. Uh, that's great. Uh, no coaching closing. Is there one best piece of advice that you would give? You know, I, I would say it'd be those two things my father told me. You better have patience and you better have perseverance because this is a very challenging profession. Uh, it's, it's very high profile uh, and it's high, very a lot of children, but your own, uh, if you're not careful. So uh, to me, it would be patience and perseverance. I think it helps if you've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ from a Christian perspective. But again, it's such a secular society. A lot of coaches don't address that issue. But to me, that would be number one and along with patience and perseverance. Absolutely. Um, now, Coach, coming up, uh, assuming everything goes as planned, are you going to be doing any, any TV, any ACC type of coverage? For this you know, I did season? TV for nine years. For, for the first nine years, I got out of coaching and didn't do it last year. Won't do it this year. I think with my father being 90, uh, I got a sister over in Mobile. I have a son in Atlanta. I, I had to work on Saturdays ever since I've been out of coaching. I had to work. It was a big work day, and I was traveling home at night. So I, I missed a bunch of good football. I want to go tailgating <laughs> and enjoy that. I always smell that tailgate. I was too sick to eat before a game. Now I can. I want to finally go tailgate at the school and watch a game and enjoy it. Awesome. Well, Coach, I, I hope you enjoy it. You've certainly earned it. And for anyone, everyone listening, TommyBowden.com is where they can keep up to date then with, with what you're doing. Well, thanks, Steve. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Coach, so much for taking the time.